On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Ken Morton Jr., who, uh, along with his dad and his brother, are part of the family that runs the Hagen Oaks Golf Complex in Sacramento, which is well-known nationwide because uh, it has, by a large margin, the largest on-course golf super shop in the country. So it's a 15,000-plus-square-foot shop with um, uh, you know, all of the latest te- uh, technology to fit clubs, but it's part of a on-course operation. So it's a green grass operation, and um, there are superstores, of course, in golf in the country, but none of them are located as part of a actual golf facility the way this one is. And they have become famous in the retail golf industry um, space for the tremendous success they've had. So we talk about uh, all of that with Ken and growing up there, how he got introduced to the game, how he became part of the business and, and how he has really spent his career there on the retail side and how they've grown it and, and um, inter- some interesting stories about how they came about uh, to building the um a huge superstore because uh, when his dad was uh, started there and was the head pro, it had the normal small pro shop that you would see at most um, golf facilities. So we talk about all that and also talk about um, the many ways in which the family and uh, the Hagen Oaks Golf Complex has given back to the Sacramento community. Um, there's their Morton Golf Foundation um, and um, all of the charities they support and different um, uh, activities they support in the Sacramento area is really quite um, impressive. So up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Ken Morton Jr. Welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy, and I'm really pleased this morning to have joining us uh, from Sacramento, Ken Morton Jr., um, and uh, we're going to chat all about um, uh, Hagen Oaks and the Superstore and Morton Golf and the tremendous uh, stuff that he and his family have done over the years, um, kind of legendary in the golf retail space. Um, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, I'm very pleased to uh, meet your acquaintance and and be involved. Thanks. Um, so let's just maybe give folks a little bit of context uh, for you and, and kind of how you got into the game. Um, maybe you can sort of tell us, I, you know, you grew up in Sacramento. You're still in the area there, of course. Um, how did you uh, uh, first get introduced to the game of golf? So my golf story begins way before I was even around. So uh, I have been... Uh, blessed to uh, uh, be a Ken Jr. who uh, works and has been belonged to a Ken Sr. And uh, so his his story was uh, he began work uh, way back in 1958 at Hagen Oaks Golf Course and uh, originally as a club repairman and then as an assistant pro and then partners with the then uh, head golf professional whose name was Tom Lepresti. And just about the time I came around in the early 70s, they became partners. And so um, I there's photos of me here out at Hagen Oaks at 
the age of two crawling around on the putting green and putting with my plastic golf clubs and so forth. Um, it wasn't until the uh, 1980 uh, when I was still very much just a kid that I, my own story uh, of employment started. I actually started giving change out on the driving range on Sundays. I, I would wow. come out here with my dad <laughs> and it was prior to the days of change machines. And I would stand up there on a big stool cause I couldn't reach the counter. And uh, people would give me dollar bills and I would give them four quarters at a time so they could go get their driving range balls. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. so, so that's the age of age starting that. And I'm glad, you know, we'll get more into your dad. I'm glad you mentioned him. And, you know, one of the things, uh, I mean, he is a legend in the industry, PGA Golf Professional of the Year. You know, one of the things you mentioned, Tom Lopresti, I'll just observe, I I, PGA Professional of the Year is is the zenith of awards that the PGA of America wins. Your dad won it, I think, in 1998, and I think Tom Lopresti won it in 1962. There's not a lot of organization of clubs or of any sort that have you know in their history two winners. So I definitely appreciate you have very strong lineage there. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, it's it's kind of wild when you think about it. Since the, the golf course was built in 1932. There's only been two golf professionals run it since then. Wow. Um, Tom was here 60 years and my dad is in his 64th year here at the golf course. Wow. wow. Um, and it's, that's truly remarkable. And in, in this day and age when, you know, if you work five, 10 years at a place that's considered long. A hundred percent. So, so back to your story. So you're on the driving range giving change at eight. And then I think I saw, maybe you started getting into a starter, uh, work at uh, 12 or something like that, if I saw that right? You you got that right. So yeah, I worked in as a starter when I was 12. And then uh, by the time I was probably 16, 17, uh, I was doing a little bit of club fitting and club sales. And that's kind of when my vision of kind of what I wanted my career to kind of be, I, I really fell in love with golf retail and both the creativity part of that, because it's really an art form, um, and then the metrics side. And uh, early on, I I found that I, I kind of had um, some fairly good intuition on that front. And uh, when I turned 18, I graduated from high school. And before I went off to college, I went and spent a year or a season at Congressional Country Club. Uh, just to get some private club experience. So I was back there for uh, for a few months. And when I came back, our soft goods buyer uh, quit to go take another position in the industry. And for some crazy unknown reason, my dad thought it was a really good idea to hand over the, the reins of the buying over to an 18-year-old kid who was wow. going to college. And uh, about six months after that, our hard goods buyer uh, went and took another uh, really nice position, uh, leadership position in the golf industry. And so he handed over uh, the hard goods buying to me. And I have been doing that ever since. So you're going to college and doing that. That's a lot to balance. Yeah, we had not. And, and again, Hagen Oaks was much smaller back then. It was pre-Super Shop days. Um, but he was involved in another management company also at the time called Golf Resources. And so uh, on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I was doing buying at Hagen. I was going to school Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then on Friday night, 
I would hop in my truck and I would drive down south to our other golf courses, which uh, one was Lamore Golf Course, which is a municipal golf course just outside of Fresno. And another one was a golf course. It's not there anymore, but it was just outside Bakersfield called Sycamore Canyon Golf Course out in a little community called Arvin. And I would drive back home Sunday night. And then the following weekend, I would head north. We, I would go up to Gold Hills Golf Course up in Redding and Shieldcrest Golf Course up in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and come out, come down Sunday. And so it was uh, for about four and a half, five years, it was seven days a week. Oh, my. I mean, for uh, folks who aren't in California listening to this, that is a wide geographical spread. If we're talking about Sacramento, as far north you're traveling as Oregon, as far south as Bakersfield, that's you were really riding the circuit. That's a lot of mileage. Yeah, I was putting about 50,000 miles on my truck at the time a year. So it was uh, uh, when I graduated from from college, finally, um, it was uh, that was a huge relief. And that was just about the time he sold golf resources. So at that point in time, I was able to focus solely on uh, Hagen Oaks. And we built the super shop in 1997. And that really exploded our business and really necessitated 100 percent of my attention anyways. So let's talk about that. So Hagen Oaks, you, as you alluded to earlier, the golf courses, one of them, you know, designed by McKenzie, you know, pretty notable, been around for a long time. So kind of take me back to sort of 97. You're sitting there, you've got your facility at Hagen Oaks, 36 holes um, and everything. And you probably had some small pro shop or whatever that was selling stuff and kind of what was the thought process to sort of, you know, open this superstore, which, you know, was it's obviously legendarily successful as we look back now from, you know, 25 plus years later. But it was unusual then and, and frankly, is still unusual to have a super there. There are superstores, of course. I mean, there were, you know, the the Edwin Watts of the world back in the Nevada Bobs back in the day, you know, and down in, in the LA area, we've got Roger Dunn. None of them are really attached to um, golf courses. So uh, what was the thinking? Obviously it was very prescient and worked out well, but I'm just curious the thinking behind, Hey, let's try to, you know, try this, try this idea out of building a superstore on a green grass facility. So yeah, we it was actually born out of a just terrible tragedy. Uh, so we, um, you know, going back way back when Tom Lepresti was a very very savvy retailer. He knew uh, Sam Snead and Tony Pena and Ben wow. Hogan and all of those legends that had their own golf club companies back in the day. And it was not uncommon, you know, back in the fifties and sixties and seventies for them, uh, Tony Pena to call up Tom and say, "Hey, I've got." 1300 you know laminated maple wood heads left over can i just clear them all out to you at 10 or 15 dollars wow. and then tom would assemble them and build them and make them a great value to the, the customer out here yeah. and my dad in his own way was a, a very big extension of that and so um over time we had developed a sale in the month of april called the tent sale okay. and we would actually bring in a big uh, tent and put it in the parking lot and for the whole month of April we would have a big sale and one of the weekends we would have our rep weekend where we'd have 20 or 30 different manufacturers set up and do fittings and and sell golf equipment over that and over time uh, you know we, we ended up doing that event about 45 years 
it became uh, over half of our business was done that particular month. Wow. Well, wow. Uh, March 30th of 1996, uh, the night before we were scheduled to open the tent, uh, we had a 12,000 square foot tent. It was actually a circus tent. Literally, they held circuses in it. Uh, we had a wild tropical storm blow through Sacramento, and the winds actually snapped both the big poles that were holding up the tent. Oh, boy. And most of our golf course flooded, including all of our parking lot. And uh, I remember coming in in the middle of the night, our security card had called us and I was standing about knee deep in water in our parking lot, watching our entire family's fortune, uh, the tent rise up and then billow up and then come crashing down on everything. And when the when it would rise up, you could look inside the tent and see literally every piece of good we owned sitting down in water, uh, oh, broken racks. Oh. That was it was a complete mess. And our insurance took care of us. Thank goodness. Uh, they dropped us two weeks later. And at that oh, point boy. in time, it was the largest insurance claim in golf's history. We, we don't know of a, a larger one at this wow. point in time. Wow. Um, but no one would insure another tent show. And so we desperately wanted to add on to our, our existing pro shop, but we were in what is called the, uh, the runway crash zone of a military air force base. That's north of our property line. They've since be de since been decommissioned. Um, and so these rules don't necessarily apply anymore, but, um, we couldn't physically add on to the building based on the zoning laws. So, um, we got creative based on this, event that we had every April and uh, the, trying to work around the zoning laws. And we found a company just east of us in Loomis called Dupnik Manufacturing that built portable classrooms. Okay. And so one year to the day of our big disaster, March 30th of 1997, we actually brought in a 7,200 square foot portable classroom that was completely open inside that's the crazy part about our super shop is if you if we took away the planner and, and looked underneath the building it's actually sitting on wheels uh it's wow. the most permanent portable building that's ever been erected <laughs> that's amazing but, but that's how we were able to get around the zoning laws uh with what was just a little creativity and so we opened up the hagen oaks golf super shop one year to the day after our big uh a disaster and um, 10 years from that point on March 30th of 2007, we added an additional 7,200 square feet uh, made by the same company. Um, and what's crazy is that the, uh, the company that builds it, it's all built off site. So when we did the addition from the point, they actually graded ground to the point we were open for business on that new extension was 10 days. Um, so it's uh, there's some pluses and minuses of of doing it this way, um, but uh, that was the uh, that was kind of the impetus. It was it was our year round tent is what it evolved to be, and um, the first year out we almost uh, actually a little more than doubled our business, and then uh, increased it that much more again our second year, um, and now it's the largest on course green grass operation in the whole country. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. I never knew that was the impetus for it. That's very, that's actually very cool. Um, what do you think has been the reason why it's been so successful? Because you guys, I mean, 
you know, the Golf Digest Awards, they might as well retire it. You've won it, you know, every year, 30 plus years. I mean, you're, you guys are legends in the industry. What do you think has made it so successful? Uh, again, it's uh, it's my dad. So he has been forever a um, champion of player development and, and making the golf accessible and available to um, anyone and everyone that would like to play the game. And uh, because of that, we have this incredible tie to uh, to the Sacramento community, um, and uh, it really just embedded as tightly as we can. I mean, you know, back in the '80s, uh, the our two big school districts here, Sacramento area, uh, Sacramento Unified School District, and San Juan Unified School District both ended funding for their golf programs. Oh, wow. um, and my dad started a program called the Sacramento Area Youth Golf Foundation, Say Golf. Um, and actually, uh, it was a 501c3 nonprofit, and they actually did fundraising and refunded all of the golf teams and the stipends for all of the area golf coaches to keep uh, all of those high school uh, golf programs afloat. And then created a a little linker, uh, like little league for kids, but a little linker program uh, underneath that same umbrella and then junior camps and then a junior tour. And um, that evolved actually into uh, say golf being the model by which the first tee uh, did their national programming. They actually based the national first tee program on what my dad had done wow. uh, back with cool. say golf way back in the day. Um uh, yeah, we we uh, we're actually really proud of that fact. And so now First Tee and our Morton Golf uh, Foundation, which we is a, another nonprofit that we uh, started when the First Tee took over, say golf um, funds programming for uh, Latino juniors and African-American juniors and people that have had strokes and veterans. And uh, we have a program for the blind. We have a program for the, the first and largest special Olympics golf program in the country. Wow. Um, and I could keep going on and on and on. I mean, there's about 20 or 25 programs that are so distinctly unique to Sacramento. And in some cases have, have really expanded across the U S like, you know, we were really early in on PGA hope, which is a program to use golf to rehabilitate, veterans who are dealing with either physical or PTSD issues. And now that's a national program, but we still do lots of fundraising and programming for our, our NorCal vets. And so again, based on that, you know, people want to do business with people they feel really confident in that are being good stewards of the game and good stewards of this property that is a public municipality. It's, it literally belongs to them. And, mm -hmm. um, so we we are just simply carrying the torch that my dad started way back when and and trying to do the best thing we can and and uh, try to change some of those preconceived notions that golf is just an old white guy's game because it's right. not. I mean, and it's specifically since COVID, it's changing fast and for the good. For sure. And um, and I know, you know, you with your dad, your brother, Tom, is also involved in the business, right? It's kind of a family. I know you have more than just the family, but it's kind of the whole, the, multiple people in your family are actively involved, right? Yeah. So my brother is a, a class APJ golf professional, uh, like my dad, and um, he oversees all of the 
uh, lesson programming that I, a lot of the, that programming I mentioned. So we have a, a big staff of about 20 coaches um, wow. and he oversees uh, all of our junior programming and, and uh, uh, all of our adult classes and, and uh, all the private instruction that we, that we do here. We actually uh, do more golf lessons than anywhere west of the Mississippi out here at Hagen Oaks too. And again, all, all started uh, way back when from that mentality that my dad had had. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, got a, a couple of things come to mind. I mean, one, just to sort of help paint the picture for people listening to this. So you've got a 15,000 now roughly square foot superstore on property at Hagen Oaks. You've got, um, you know, a, 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 a huge range, right over a hundred stalls. Um, you've got, you know, for someone who wants to get fitted, you've got TrackMan, and I'm guessing, and if I'm re- remembering right, you know, you can sort of hit balls and it goes out into the range. So you can actually sort of see the whole flight. That's one of the, you know, many advantages of being a green grass store. You've got a Sam Putt Lab computer. For, uh, it seems like you've got really everything there. Yeah, it's it's a it's again really unique facility. It's right off the freeway in Sacramento, and it's it very much in the kind of heart and center of Sacramento. And uh, we are surrounded by big freeways on all sides, so it's this little island. It's this little oasis. Um, but we, you know, there's a three-hole practice academy that you can rent a hole oh, at wow. a time. Uh, last year we put in Top Tracer out on the driving range. Uh, so oh, front, nice. On the front side of the range, all 52 stalls now have. Uh, launch monitor technology in it so you can actually uh, practice it Uh, that range is a crazy place unto itself we um, (laughs) we actually do more business when the sun's down than when the sun is up Uh, and uh, we uh, interesting so people come out at night because it's lighted and everything and we're uh, we're open till 2 a.m every night during the spring and summertime oh my gosh 2 a.m wow yeah if you come out at 10 p.m on a weekday summertime night we might have three or four hundred people on the driving range waiting to hit wow wow yeah so it's uh uh it it's been um and again that crowd could not be more different than our daytime crowd it's 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 uh young and and they're playing music and um you know sharing buckets of balls and and uh there's you know it's it's way more diverse and um it's it's all the things we need our industry to be it's really great it sounds like you were top golf before top golf i mean it's almost that <laughs> sounds like the crowd at top golf and you know because that's and you know the industry better than i do but things like top golf like five iron these different you know off course facilities you know, are drawing so many people into the game and hopefully a bridge to the game but you're kind of doing it all together you've got the golf courses but you've got you're drawing that crowd too which is great yeah hopefully you mentioned it hopefully we're the bridge uh you know the the top golf all those things um they came at a really really needed time of our industry we we you know we had that little tiger boom and that tiger blip, but as a, as an industry, as a whole, we were seeing a slow and steady slide each year. And I think uh, the top golf thing, and um, you know, we had people fall in love the game with like, you know, Steph Curry and uh, all of the celebrities. And, and, and I think, um, you know, musicians like Macklemore, and I I think they all kind of made golf cool. And I think Top Golf and, and all those, you know, things like Fiverr, I think they all had a a really big impact on that. And so um, if we can provide that 
you know, that runway to link the off course golf to the on course golf, then I think we're doing our job. For sure. I'm guessing like so many golf facilities during COVID, you guys must have just been uber busy, right? I mean, it sounds like you're busy all the time, but you must have seen the same spike in rounds, I would think that because uh, there was nothing. It was like the ideal socially distanced activity golf court playing, right? Yeah, I think that. And I think if you were in biking or fishing or hiking or golf, you you uh, you did really well during COVID. Um I, I I always feel slightly guilty in saying that, you know, who knew that a worldwide pandemic would have been the, you know, the best thing that ever happened to golf. But uh, specific to the sport, it it really was a, a major boon. Um, we uh, it, it was crazy those first couple, three months we were Sacramento County was the only county not ever to close the golf course. Interesting. Um, and, I didn't know. Yeah. That. We had uh, we we have a gentleman who works for us uh, who is a former city council member who uh, does advisory work with us and early early on we uh, sat down with him and and developed about a seven page list of protocols that we would voluntarily do if the Sacramento County would allow us to remain open and um, he pitched it to our health director here in our county and. Uh, it became the kind of the Bible by which all of the other counties ended up using to mm. reopen their golf courses. But because of that and, and our proactivityness, um, we we were allowed to stay open. But it was it was fairly loony that first sixty days because we were having people come in from three, four, six, eight, ten hours away to get their golf fix because they couldn't get it oh. anywhere else in the state. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Cause they were closed down in Harley for a while. Yeah. What do you we just one sort of further thought on on that? I mean what, do you have a sense of what kind of retention you think the game is going to have of these people who all sort of came out during COVID, people who maybe had Oh, I'll give it another try or whatever, because, you know, what else am I going to do during this pandemic? I'll play golf. I mean, do you think the game is sort of keeping those people as we're kind of are, you know, emerging out the other end of it? Or do you have any sense of that? I think as an industry, we're doing a really good job with the um, with the uh, kind of uh, those golfers that are 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 invested in the game to uh, want to buy country club memberships and, and, you know, those big game advocate type of, of golfers. I think, um, you know, there's not a private club worth their weight and salt that doesn't have a wait list right now. Right. Um, they're all reinvesting in all kinds of services and, you know, workout centers and, you know, new pools and, and, and all these things that I think are going to be, they're ancillary to golf, but they're going to, keep people connected to the clubs in a pretty profound way. I don't think we're doing as well as with the, um, with the golfers that have are kind of flirting with the game. Mm -hmm. um, those, our contract is unique with the city and such that if we want to go add six, 10, 12 new golf professionals, we could tomorrow. Um, and if we can make it make financial sense, then we just go and do it. Most municipal contracts or most public golf course contracts are set up where you have X amount of people to operate that contract. Um, whether you're doing lots of business 
or no business. Um, and they just pay the the operator a flat fee to go operate that golf course. And so right. what we're seeing at a lot of these public golf courses is they're, they're no more heavily staffed right now than they were prior to COVID. And they're literally just, A, burning their team out because right. there's so many more people on the property. But they're not allowed to go make those reinvestments in additional golf pros and, and you know, event managers and and people to put their arms around all these new golfers to come in and you know really be mentors to the to them and and orientate to them to the game and make them feel part of this awesome golf family and it's just really more because of the structure of the the contracts than anything um staffing's hard right now but i do think if it was structured differently we would find a way um, so, you know, we're talking to a lot of our public golf course operators just here in Sacramento, and they're having massive turnover at their management level just because their team is fried right. um, and, and, they, and they're not allowed to reinvest in additional help. Interesting. It, I, it totally makes sense. That's unfortunate, but it's interesting. Um, let me ask you about another aspect of your operations that, you know, I'm I'm guessing probably it's got to go back at least 25 or 20 years. Anyway, the online aspect. So you're, you're sitting here with this great superstore, you know, uh, do it in 97, double it, you know, 10 years later uh, in size. Um, how and when did you get into the Internet side of it? Because I know, you know, from my own personal standpoint, over the years when I've looked for things, um, do you, I would do my Google search and Morton golf would, you know, always pop up high in the search and you guys always seem to, you know, if I'm looking for Scotty Cameron putter or something, you guys would have it seemingly before, you know, most people. Um, so I'm just curious, how did the, how, and when did the whole internet aspect of the business get started? So probably about 20 years ago, we started dabbling in it a little bit. Um, we, you know, again, to my dad's credit. He, he might not be the most technologically savvy individual at this part of his life in his 80s, but he has always, um, without fail, always wanted the rest of us in, in the company to be really on the cutting edge of all of the new technology that's coming out. And so uh, we were really early adopters on social media and having our own YouTube channel and all those kind of things. And um, and the in the storefront was certainly an extension of that. Um, we uh, we manage 90 holes of golf in Sacramento. Uh, Hagen Oaks is 36 of it. We have three other public golf courses in Sacramento that we operate, and they are very very traditional municipal golf courses. Uh, they they are very very busy. Uh, they do not have super shops on them. Uh, one of them has a driving range on it. Uh, the other two do not. Um, and uh, so. Uh, we decided to not call it uh, Hagen Oaks Online Store. We decided at that point in time to call it Morton Golf Sales uh, so that it would encompass all four of our golf properties. Now, Hagen was much smaller back in those days. In retrospect, if I could do it over, we probably would rethink that. But uh, we, there's a lot of water under the bridge since then. So, uh, But yeah, so we, we started that and uh, it's uh, been a really... A wonderful, successful part of our business uh, that we operate under the same roof that the super shop operates. We have a, a large uh, office and room back there uh, that we have uh, our, our staff of uh, three order fulfillers uh, pull product off the floor and send it out all around the world. Wow. 
That's awesome. Um, and 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 obviously, you, and and you know, on property, you're doing fittings and stuff. I mean, it's the whole range of services. It isn't just walking into someplace to buy a pair of shoes. I mean, you're you got the whole range of services. It sounds you got a big staff. Yeah, we we uh, Morton Golf employs over 300 in, uh, individuals these days. It's pretty wild. Uh, wow. We because we uh, because of the contract, we you know, retail is kind of what we're known for around the United right. States, but. We do all the maintenance on the golf course. We have a really robust wedding and catering business at two oh, of wow. our facilities. Okay. Um, we operate four different restaurants and a food truck. Uh, again, all of our uh, lesson programming here at Hagen Oaks, we, one of our nine hole golf courses, we actually have a foot golf course on, which I'm not sure if you uh, have ever seen what that is, but I'm not familiar. What is that? Uh, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, so we were actually the third golf course in the country to put it in, and now there's a few hundred, but it's basically uh, golf, but with a soccer ball. So imagine um, you going to the first tee of a golf course with your soccer ball and kicking it down the fairway, and on par fours, of like a traditional golf course, you might have two uh, foot golf holes, and the holes are, they're, they're big, they're, you know, they're probably gosh, two and a half, three feet around. Um, and we use a special orange flag out there. And so in the course of nine holes of golf, there's actually 18 holes of foot golf. And so uh, it's a par 72, just like if you uh, were playing um, uh, golf. And we can actually have foot golfers and golfers right in the same foursome if they so choose. We don't wow. usually blend them unless unless they want to. But we have grandparents will come out and play traditional golf and their grandkids will play foot golf right alongside of them. Um, The cool part about it is that uh, golf is still, you know, it's intimidating to people who don't play. They're still, you know, on our best day, we're probably only getting 11 or 12% of the general population who wants to play golf um, because of the, the fear of swinging and missing it and then, you know, embarrassing yourself is really high. All of that is taken away with foot golf you're never not going to kick it and miss it. Right. Right. And so uh, we have soccer teams that come out and do their end of year parties and, and practices out here. Um, And actually it's, it's developed into a big nationwide sport. They actually had uh, the last two years, they've had world cup uh, international games. Um, The U S team has actually won two of the last three years. They've been in Japan and South America and, and, uh, there's a world championships back in Florida in the next couple months. Uh, one of our staff members is a former collegiate uh, soccer player, and he's ranked in the top 10 nationally in this crazy new sport. Wow. So again, it's really just trying to introduce. Uh, it's it's really fun. The What we found is with our play, um, it's a very uh, heavy Hispanic um, uh, mix of players that are coming out and playing the sport, as yeah. you would think, connected to yeah. soccer. And that's the group in golf we're the worst at recruiting. And so we're exposing this facility uh, to a whole uh, neat group of faces that wouldn't necessarily normally be out to golf. And again, we've just like top golf, we've seen uh, definitely a transform from foot golfers to golfers and, and vice versa um, in trying to provide that one way to uh, do new player recruitment in some really unique and transformative ways. 
Wow, that is amazing. I had no idea about that. I thought I was knowledgeable about most stuff going on in golf. That that's awesome. Um, one other thing I, I just I remember seeing this is a cute story back to your dad and and kind of going back in early history that I, I I'm guessing you're familiar with that I thought was so funny and interesting is his early um interactions with uh Eli Calloway. Back in the day when, and I, and I remember this, I'm old enough when, you know, Callaway was about those hickory shafted wedges way before, you know, we got into big Bertha's, let alone, of course, the behemoth that's come. But maybe you could share that because your dad goes back that way with Eli, right? He does. And in fact, I think uh, that relationship, this this story is really what built the super shop, quite honestly. So oh, wow. Um, so, uh, Ely, for anybody who doesn't know, Ely owned the Hickory, uh, golf company, uh, and, and all they made was Hickory shafted wedges and putters. And it was very, very niche. Um, and, uh, w- back when, you know, in the early nineties, Ely actually made a visit up with, uh, to visit my dad and really just because he wanted to humorous humor this old guy he would bring in six wedges and six putters um and uh and you know we were one of you know very few accounts around the united states that was doing business with them back in the day and so uh at the pga show one year um my dad uh was sitting in on two advisory boards at the at the time one was uh, something called the Bag Group, which was a group group of off course retailers, and then was very connected to the PGA. And the day before the PGA show, uh, both groups were asking him what he thought of this new Callaway Wood, and he hadn't seen it yet. And so when the show opened, he immediately went over to the Callaway booth and sought out Ely, and uh, and actually Ely uh, very wisely had hired a, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Parker, who was with the bag group to be his national sales manager. And so uh, Ely, Bruce and my dad ended up putting together an order for about 500 woods. Now, in perspective, that was that seemed like an infinity amount of woods from the Callaway Golf Company that I mean, right. it would be like someone like zebra putters designing a wood tomorrow and us literally going all in on zebra woods. Right. I mean, and so that night at dinner, he's, he hands me all these POs because again, at at the time I was the hard goods buyer and I'm like, dad, what have you done? Right. (laughs) And he's like, trust me. I just trust my instincts on this. And so the big Bertha, as we all know, became the oddest selling metal wood in the history of our game and it was because of that relationship that uh, that was a very, very strictly allocated items. If you, oh, if, you owned a, yeah. if you owned a golf course in Sacramento and, and your name wasn't Ken Morton, you were getting between two and six woods a month. There wasn't an order that we wouldn't put in that we wouldn't get shipped whatever we asked for. Uh, wow. We were literally ordering hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of woods a month at that point in time. And it, and it was uh, it was that business and that growth and that that volume that we were doing that really allowed us to really kind of reinvest and, and eventually build the super shop with some of the money we had earned. So that uh, that hunch my dad had and that relationship that was started way back with those silly hickory shafted golf clubs actually 
is the reason we have the shop we do today. That's an awesome. I never knew that aspect of it, but um, yeah. So back to the original Big Bertha's, the Warbirds, right? I mean, yep. those were, you know, it's it's boy, that's awesome. Um, I, I totally see that. That's I love it. That's great. Um, let me sort of talk to you um, about some of the other things you've done in golf. I know one of the things that you've been really involved with is the Association of Golf Merchandisers, and um, maybe talk about what that is and kind of the role that you've played in that. I know that was something that you've spent some significant time on. Yeah, I've been a member almost 30 years now. Um, so it's a nonprofit organization that uh, really is designed to um, kind of sharpen the skills and, and provide resources to people who are uh, specializing in golf retail. I, um, you know, unlike my dad and my brother who are PJ golf professionals, I'm uh, I am not in the PGA um, and really um, have kind of focused most of my energy on the retail and, and the marketing portion of our business. And so, whereas the PGA has some really wonderful education, um, people outside the PGA don't necessarily have access to that. I will, I will go to my dying day uh, requesting the PGA to change their stance on that because I think that would be better for the industry if they did. But that's another story. That's the, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep fighting the good fight on yeah. that. So, yeah, you should. Uh, the AGM is uh, kind of fills that void, it, and it uh, it's filled with about 800 850 uh, merchandisers, which is usually it's about half PJ golf professionals now and about half uh, non PJ golf professionals. But it kind of fills that void with. Um, with uh, providing retail education for them to be better at their craft, be better at their art. And so uh, my dad, when, when it was clear that my game wasn't going to be good enough to, to be in the PGA, uh, my dad suggested I, I kind of go down this other uh, course of, of action with the AGM. And um, so I, I dove in with both feet. I was president for three uh, terms. Um, I've been uh, on their education committee for a couple decades. Um, while I was the president, we laid out a um, a plan uh, for a program called the Certified Retail Manager Program, which is a certification program that buyers can go through to kind of earn their degree in golf retail, so to speak. And it takes a year to two to go through it. And um, we were, uh, it took us a, a few years to get it off the ground, but we graduated our first big class at the 2022 PGA show and had a big uh, class of about close to 40 at the 2023 PGA show. And uh, they've, I think, run through close to 150 through the program or in, or either graduated or, or in the program. And um, it's been a really cool legacy piece. Uh, and I think everybody that goes that's involved in AGM uh, sees the value in and getting some really unique pieces. I've I've actually written uh, six books for the organization. Um, they're called the Little Books of Big Golf. I promotions. was going to ask that. And, so I, I saw the Little Book of Big Golf Promotions, and then you've yeah. got all these successor volumes to it, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Back when uh, Golf Digest and Golf World and even before that, Golf Shop Operations, they used to do their top 100 Golf Shop Award every year. Um, uh, it was uh, early in my presidency that the industry publication went away 
and uh, my two friends over at Golf Digest, Mike Stitcher and Mike Johnson, that's their equipment editors who were overseeing this program, came to me and said that Digest really didn't see the value in doing a industry ranking like that if they didn't have an industry publication anymore. And so uh, asked if the AGM would co-sponsor it with them for a couple years and then eventually take over the awards program in totality, which which happened under my watch. And um, the uh, what's what was unique in that is that when they had that industry publication, they would use all those applications and all of the ideas and promotions and marketing initiatives that were submitted as fodder for their magazine. It was a great, right. they, they, they did it selfishly so they could get all this great content. Right. right. Well, when it was handed over to the AGM for the first couple of years, we had all this wonderful content, but didn't quite know what to do with it. And so that's kind of how the, the first little book was, was sponsored was, um, we kind of dove into all of those applications and uh, kind of regurgitated all the great, uh, wonderful ideas that were out of it. So each one of those books is 300 marketing ideas. Um, and so uh, through six books, we've got about 1,800 uh, really wildly creative, really special ideas that the golf industry has done specifically in their golf shop um, that we can borrow and we can use as examples of doing some really unique experiential retail type of events in our own stores. Um, and I'm actually about uh, about a third of the way through Little Book 7 right now. Wow. Um, so we're, we're doing it again uh, for another one. And um, it's a wonderful organization. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have been, I'm blessed that my dad pointed me in that direction because I've made a lot of really good relationships and it, it's really um, sharpened my skills in a, in a really profound way over the years. That's great. I love it. Um, and kind of just sort of uh, one other area I just wanted to, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, um, but just sort of all the wonderful things that the Morton Golf Foundation does. I mean, it's obviously giving back to the community. You, you noted earlier what, uh, how, how you, how, um, you know, Hagen Oaks and Morton Golf are such a big part of the community, but maybe you could talk about some of the things the foundation's done. I mean, we, we chatted before we got rolling today with all the guitars in the background. And I know you have, you know, you, you've written for several country music publications. You're interested in country music. You have that golf and guitars festival, you know, that raised money. Maybe you can sort of chat about that because that's just wonderful stuff. Yeah. So uh, back in 2008, the first tee of Greater Sacramento, uh, the world went sideways with the economy. Right. And there was some uh, some uncertainty on whether the first tee was going to make it at that point in time. I, at that point in time, my dad had stepped aside and wasn't involved. Um, and we were really fearful that if something did go haywire, that all of the programming that they were helping facilitate and sponsor wouldn't be able to go forward. And so we started a second 501c3 called the Morton Golf Foundation and uh, and basically funded it just so that um, we could step in and refund anything that might get defunded if the first tee didn't make it. Now, uh, they've been under wonderful leadership. Actually, a dear friend of mine, Angie Dixon, is their executive director, and they are, their program is as robust and, and is doing as well as any chapter in the country again these days. I'm there in wonderful hands. And so it's allowed us to kind of do some unique things with the, the foundation. Uh, you mentioned golf and guitars. We, we do a big country music festival every year uh, that uh, 
We have been blessed that this will be our 15th annual this year. Wow. All of the artists and songwriters that play in it actually donate their time um, with a 100% of the net proceeds going back to a variety of different charities. Um, but the, the the majority of them being the Morton Golf Foundation. And uh, we've raised about uh, just a little over a million and a half dollars since we started through that uh, singular fundraiser. Uh, and um, we do college scholarships out of the program. We'll, we'll give 25, 30 college scholarships each year. Uh, we have a program called a um, grant program. And what we found is that uh, we have such a great junior program system here in Northern California that we have kids that are making it to AJGA events and to the drive chip and putt back in Augusta right. and to national USGA championships and finding that that is exceptionally expensive and really puts a lot of pressure on families to be able sure. to figure out how to fund these amazing opportunities that their kids are having. And so uh, we have a program where you can actually submit and we will actually pick up the cost uh, for those kind of trips. And so uh, last year there was 40 or 50 kids that got grants for that. Um, some of the grants are simply because kids can't afford new equipment or they can't afford golf lessons at the golf course that they're playing at. And again, we're trying to do whatever we can to uh, drive as much accessibility to the game as we can. And so uh, we fund about uh, 10 or 12 different programs. My, my, probably my favorite is a program called Angels for Hearts. It's a, a program that has uh, kids who have either had heart transplants are on a list for a heart transplant or have a degenerative heart ailment. Um, it is a program that allows them to be athletes. And uh, uh, it's an amazing golf program here in Sacramento. They've, they actually had uh, two of their earliest kids make their high school golf teams this year for the first time in the program's wow, history. That's wonderful. It's, again, it's just, you know, these kids spend half their lives in hospitals and never are going to think that they can ever oh, play yeah. a sport. And the, transformative change in their just life when they can hit a golf ball and actually you know tell that a friend that they're a golfer it 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 i mean it it'll make you cry it's amazing that's uh, just awesome yeah uh, our biggest program that we're doing right now is uh we're actually funding a uh golf program um it's actually a golf facility that we're putting on the Hiram Johnson High School uh, so Hiram Johnson is a school that's uh, very, uh, uh, very urban, very, uh, very um, uh, diverse and is in pretty tough neighborhood um, and uh, does not currently have a girls golf team. Um, and uh, there is very little after school programming in and around the community. And so uh, we've raised um uh, about a half million dollars and are actually going to on the campus are going to actually put in a big short game facility, uh, some hitting nets where you can actually hit golf balls along with the classroom so that they can actually begin teaching golf in their PE programs. Their high school teams will have a place to go practice after school. Uh, we will extend grant programs to any of the kids that want to take up the game so that we can provide them equipment and actually get them involved. And then after school, 
all of the kids, regardless of what age they are, that want to actually come learn the game, we will fund all of the after school programming uh, and actually have a place for them to come that's safe, that will likely be feeding them, will be a safe place to be able to do homework, have some really wonderful mentors and uh, get as many kids involved in the game as we can that way, right in their neighborhood. That is just wonderful. I love it. That is just just awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we're hoping um, to break you. ground hopefully uh, within the next few months. That is fantastic. Um, and and on an individual level, I know if I'm remembering right, you've been a volunteer firefighter, right, for a number <laughs> of years. How, how did that come about? So uh, I come from a family of firefighters. My, uh, my cousin on my mom's side is a fireman. My brother-in-law is a fire uh, captain, just, just retired. Uh, my cousin on my dad's side is a fireman in the Air Force. And so when my wife and I bought our uh, home up in Rockland, which is just east of Sacramento, um, I really wanted to be involved in the community um, in, a, in a volunteer role in some way. And um, so on a crazy whim, I went up and met with uh, uh, Chief Mrzinski at the time. And uh, they were having in Placer County, they were having a volunteer fire academy um, that was starting up almost immediately upon us moving into my home. So um, I went through a six month academy up there oh, and wow. uh, and graduated and and uh, spent about eight years as a volunteer fireman up there. Uh, at the time I decided to leave, um, we had put in our third fire station and our career firefighters uh, which when I started, we only had two uh, fully paid or fully paid firefighters on st on staff at any one time. When I left, we had about a dozen, and so wow. the need for volunteers was just far less. But far less, yeah. There was there was many a night I would be up all night fighting a house fire, and chief would cut me loose. I'd go home, shower, and then head into the golf course to uh, unbelievable try to try to work and. Um, I, I miss it a lot, but I don't miss those nights a lot. I'm at this this stage of my life. I'm a, I, I need my rest. So I, that, that's just awesome. I love that. I mean, so I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. I mean, this has been such an incredible family endeavor for you. And, and I'm so glad we talked about the foundation and all the other things you guys do that um, I wasn't aware of. In addition to, you know, obviously the golf retail and Hagen Oaks and everything else. Um how do you see things going forward? Do you, I know you've got, you know, I think three sons and a daughter if I'm remembering right. I mean, do you, do you see this sort of um, with you and your brother kind of staying as a family involved in this as you guys, as time marches on, or how do you sort of see things going forward? Yeah. So I do not have any kids thus far that uh, are interested in following in my footsteps um, my my two oldest uh, both are uh, engineers. They're out of college. Uh, one okay. is in the golf business. So uh, my son Taylor uh, actually works for Ping Golf, and he actually designs golf clubs for Ping. Oh wow! Okay, um, I'm super excited. He uh, he's been with them about a year. I'm gonna actually have be selling a golf club he designed here in the next couple three months. Oh, that's so, got to be so cool for you. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. So uh, I've got. Uh, Another one who graduates high school this year, and then my daughter is still in middle school. And um, I think all of them see the uh, the time and energy that it takes <laughs> sure. to run their own business and are way smarter than dad. So uh, <laughs> um, 
Now, uh, my one of our business partners, uh, Mike Woods, he's our head golf professional here at Hagen. He, um, his son has followed him into the PGA of America, and I would not be surprised. My my uh, my brother's boys uh, both are really active golfers, and it wouldn't surprise me if they decided to follow into the uh, the family business on that front. So, but uh, um, it will be in good hands no matter what happens. I'm sure. Um, hey, Ken, this has been just fabulous. And, uh, you know, just all of the congratulations to what you and your dad, your brother, everyone has built there. It's just a phenomenal success. Um, and and it's so cool the way you've sort of shared uh, and given back to the community in all the ways that you guys do. That's just awesome. So I want to thank you for, uh, I know how busy you are. I want to thank you for spending the time today and telling us all about what's going on up there and what your family's done and wish you all the continued uh, success in the future. Now it's very kind. I appreciate it very much.